you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Peter David, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Have a great day. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is our very first episode of for Wolverine. This is Wolverine Episode 1, Madripoor Knights. And I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm your Wolverine host, Drew Ivers. And welcome to the show, Drew. This is your first episode with us. In fact, you were telling me that this is your first podcast ever? Yeah, I've never really recorded anything Uh Podcast-wise, um, I certainly listened to quite a few of them, so hopefully that gives me a leg up. But uh, I'm really excited to be here and, and talk about some Wolverine with you. Awesome. Uh, well, we're glad to have you as well. And one of the questions that I always ask the people who are first-timers on my show here is, how did you get into comics? I don't really remember uh, not having comics in my life. Uh, they're how I learned to read when I was a kid. I would just page through them when I was two, three years old and try not to mess them up too much. And uh, my parents would use them as incentives to learn how to read. And at certain milestones, like birthdays and whatever, I would get comics all the time. So um, I've kind of always had them in my life. And I was I was a DC kid. I, I never really read a whole lot of Marvel uh, growing up. I was super big into Superman and um, the Christopher Reeve Superman movies were uh, had a lot of worn out VHS tapes in my house. So, um, Marvel, I would buy the occasional Spider-Man comic, uh, X-Men comic and Wolverine and slowly just started adding more and more Marvel into my life as I got older, mostly, mostly the X-Men and Wolverine. So, uh, currently I pretty much only read in trades and the occasional digital single issue. I have a couple boxes left of uh, single comics that I that mean a lot to me, but other than that, it's mostly bookshelves. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm the same way, and I I'd imagine that there are a lot of people in the same boat these days, especially from our era of collecting comics. Um, we are not so much the, the the single issue collectors anymore. I just find them so hard to justify in terms of space and cost and everything, and. The nice thing about the Epic collections is they kind of scratch that itch for me as far as finding stuff in the back issue boxes because they're released out of order. You get a nice sampling and it kind of fills a hole and answers a few questions and ties things up, ties things up a little better in terms of the Marvel Universe. So they're really nice for discovering new, new storylines and new characters. Was this volume Wolverine new to you, or had you read this before? No, I had actually had, um, I think, every issue of 
the Wolverine ongoing, all of volume one. Well, I guess this is considered volume two after the miniseries, but right. Uh, yeah, I, I started reading. I had a subscription in the mid to late nineties that would be delivered to my house occasionally when the, uh, post office didn't lose it. And, um, <laughs> I started re- reading Wolverine at about issue 90 and kept going from there and filled in the holes in my collection. Uh, so it's not new to me. It's the first time I had read it in sequence in a while when the Epic came out, um, which was nice to approach it from older, different set of eyes. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've only, I have a smattering of Wolverine issues. I, I collected it around just after Age of Apocalypse, kind of before it was, uh, um, before that first volume ended, and or the second volume ended, I guess. And uh, and then other than that, I have I have the first issue, and I have um, what is the second issue of the Hulk two-parter, um, and I so I've read those, but all the rest of this is new material for me, so I'm quite happy to be uh, exploring this for the pretty much for the first time. Um, so just before we dive into the contents of this epic, I want to uh, let everyone know that you can uh, visit us at epicmarvelpodcast.com, uh, visit us on Facebook. We are uh, we love to have the interaction with people who are listening there uh, to our posts, and uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Epic Marvel Pod, because I can't fit Epic Marvel Podcast into one Twitter handle. <laughs> And uh, and for those of you who are Patreon supporters, if you're pledging at $5 or up, um, then you're going to get access to the full interviews for two of the people who I talked to for this episode. I talked to Chris Claremont and I talked to Peter David about the issues found in here. And we'll play some of the clips throughout this episode. But if you want to hear the whole thing, you got to jump over to to patreon.com slash thunderquack and support us there. Uh, and we ask, uh, all these podcasts are free, but we need the support of our listeners in order to, to, to offset the, some of the costs and keep the podcast running and, and maintain the affordability there. So you get a good deal, I think, in the end, because there are a lot of great interviews up there. Um, as of this recording, I think there's like a, um, Jim Salakrup, another Steve Englehart interview about the Silver Surfer, Chris Claremont talking about Iron Fist, Larry Hama talking about Iron Fist. Yeah, there's just a bunch up there right now. So get, get over there and, and check it out. Patreon.com slash Thunderquack. So this first volume, Wolverine Epic Collection Matrapore Knights covers 1988 to 1989. And Drew, what can we find in this collection which issues um it starts out with marvel comics presents one through ten which is the bi-weekly anthology book marvel put out around this time really it was anchored by wolverine for i think most of its run yeah there's yeah. always wolverine on the cover that's followed by wolverine one through 16 and marvel age annual four and what are your thoughts about this collection not starting with the Wolverine miniseries? I'm really happy with this collection. I don't think that the Wolverine miniseries really fits into this book at all. I think it's more of an X-Men story. Um, I think in the clip you have with Chris Claremont, he kind of talks about how it was meant to bring readers over to the X-Men. Um, because it, it's almost a continuation mm-hmm. in, in Uncanny at that time. Um, it, it really doesn't fit with 
the Magic 4 setting. It doesn't fit with the patch persona or any of that. So I, I'm I'm happy leaving it as an X-Men story. Yeah, I'm I'm of the same opinion. I think that um, there are lots of people who are like, well, uh, why wouldn't you start with that? Or how come Hulk number 181 isn't in there? But this is a completely different Wolverine than we're used to. And it is a, he, he has a different outlook on life as opposed to the, the team member that, that we're used to seeing him at this point um, in, in the X-Men comics. And, uh, and yeah, he's just trying to do a different, a whole new, he's trying to create a whole new life for himself because it takes place in China, having the setting of Japan in the first miniseries, it does seem jarring. It would seem out of place just to be hopping from one to another. Plus there's like five, I think there's about five years in, in between those two things. Yeah. I mean, it, it really depends on how far back you want to go there. I know there's a couple epic collections that collect basically every appearance of the character, but yeah, you'd have to toss in stuff like his first appearance in the Hulk. And yeah. There would have to be like a that. full first volume before this one, I think. And especially because the, the miniseries ends with invitations to his wedding and the wedding happens in issues of X-Men. So you'd have to, you'd have to put those issues in there to just to tie up those storylines and that kind of thing. So it would make more sense when the that epic collection volume that has the wedding issues in there to put in the miniseries in the in the X-Men epic collections. Yeah, and I think if you're if you're a reader buying this off the shelf and you don't really know the minutiae of well, this doesn't include the miniseries and whatnot, this book has everything you need to know. It's got all the characters being introduced um, for the first time, yep. except for Jessica Drew and, and characters like that. But it's really self-contained and doesn't have a lot of interaction with the X-Men at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really, like the only person who's sort of at all connected with the X-Universe is Karma, um, who plays a minor role. So that's a, yeah, it, it's a good standalone volume. Even if you never pick up any of the other Wolverine volumes, this one is actually quite solid all the way through. Yeah, I agree. So uh, what do you... What do you think about Wolverine during this era? Are you a fan? Do you think that it, it worked? How, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I really I really like what Chris Claremont was trying to do here. Um, it's I know he was hesitant to even start a Wolverine ongoing series and would have preferred to do um, a miniseries or two every year, like he said in the interview, but... Uh, it really, he really sets up the world and kind of places Wolverine in it. And I, I, I think the strong, the supporting cast is strong. I think the patch persona, even though it's a bit goofy at times, it, it really works for the character. And it kind of reminds me of uh, Matches Malone for <laughs> yeah, Bruce Wayne. That's true. It does. Yep. Just sort of a street level anonymous character who is super hesitant to pop his claws and become Wolverine. And you, you only see him go berserk occasionally. So I think in terms of the character of Wolverine in this volume, it's, it's unlike anything we've really seen before, but it, it fits right in with who he is as a person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think I'll, I'll play that clip that you, uh, when you mentioned about 
Claremont not wanting to do a, an ongoing series. I'll play that clip here. Basically, they wanted Marvel wanted to get an ongoing Wolverine series. And my my feeling was that was a mistake because my attitude was the best for me what would be best with Logan is to maintain the sense of mystery and uniqueness. So if we did a mini series a year, four issues, six issues, we could do, we could, we could do really cool stories. You could get great artists, different writers to do them. They would be an event and everyone would look forward to it. And everyone would think, wow, this is really cool. The problem with a miniseries, the problem with an ongoing series is, especially with a character like Logan, who is incredibly popular, is it's only a matter of time before a monthly book, they start thinking, well, maybe we should do bi-weekly in the summer. Maybe we could do bi-weekly, maybe we should do two Wolverine series. <laughs> right. And, well, the problem then becomes... How many stories do you tell? At what point does the action, as we discovered, at what point do the story arcs that Larry Hama and Mark Silvestri are doing in their run on Wolverine impact on the work that I'm doing with uh, Jim Lee and what have you in the X-Men? Right. Do they, you know... uh, does that mean I can't utilize Wolverine for any cool character revelations because that's the province of his own series? And is that what uh, happened? Much the same way that, well, similar things happened years earlier when, when Len Wein was writing Hulk in Incredible Hulk and Steve Gerber was writing him in Defenders. Each of them felt they were the, the top dog uh, in the pack, and the other guy should pay attention to their continuity. Hmm. Right. And it, it, was, it was a continuous struggle with Shooter, Jim Shooter in the middle as editor-in-chief to keep them from killing each other, metaphorically speaking, because they were certain they were, the right, they were right and their, their decisions were legitimate, and the other person should yield to them. And, you know, Len's attitude was, well, screw that. I'm writing, I'm writing the Hulk's book. I should have priority. And, of course, Steve's saying, well, no, but I'm writing, I'm writing the more creative, exciting Hulk of the Defenders, and why should we be second fiddle to you? And this, uh, I worried about the se- similar things happening with, with Logan. So what do you think we need to know before going into this book? What are the key things that uh, people might have questions about? Um, well, the big thing would be Fall of the Mutants uh, happens and the world thinks the X-Men are dead, Wolverine included. Um, so he, throughout the book, uh, I think there's only one or two appearances in the costume that aren't hallucinations or flashbacks. And right. he really he stresses it, especially in the Claremont issues that no, the, everyone thinks I'm dead. I can't betray the X-Men like this and appear alive. It would ruin everything. And that's really the only setup you need to know um, for Wolverine. 
Um, I'd also say that you need to know about Jessica Drew. She's uh, mm-hmm. for those of you who are not familiar with her character, she is Spider Woman. And at this point in her history, um, her ongoing series had been canceled a few few years before this, with her ending up dead or presumed dead. And then she kind of got brought back into the fold in an issue of Avengers, but she lost her powers. Uh, thanks to Morgan Le Fay and something that Doctor Strange did, I think. And uh, and so she started up a private investigation agency with Lindsay McCabe, who's also in this book. They became fast friends and roommates. And, and through the course of um, this period, Jessica starts to get her powers back. And uh, you kind of see her using them more and more as this book goes on as well. It's very gradual and it's like not mentioned or a big deal at all. But uh, yeah, she starts, she's powerless and is regaining her powers through here. And uh, I, I think it's kind of interesting that Claremont decided to toss them in here. And I think they really, really work in this book. Uh, just as far as street level detective type characters go, they can they can do things that Wolverine can't. Yeah, and they can hold their own too, which is nice in this uh, kind of seedy neighborhood. And, uh, and And yeah, they add a lot. I think it's also nice to have... Um, the f- the female voice in what would otherwise be a very male-driven book. True. So, Drew, tell me, what did you think about the this epic collection in general, the, the quality, the, the reproduction? Uh, what did you think? What are your thoughts on this one? The reproduction is pretty good and pretty faithful to the original comics in most cases. There's some of the later issues. I don't know if it's just a production issue in terms of printing, but some of the line work is just so soft that I feel like it gets a little lost. And some of the scans are a little blurry, and it might just be my copy, but for the most part, it's it's a really, really nice-looking book. Yeah, I, I agree with you at the end there. Um, there is a definitely a point at which something changes in their process, their printing process, and I don't know if it's the low-quality scans or what but it is um at at the same it's uh it's starting at wolverine issue number 11 to the end Mm -hmm. um all of those issues are just not printed really well and they're they also don't have any page numbers starting at that point so i'm pretty sure that something happened in this printing job some of the pages just look really really terrible in terms of the, the clarity and the crispness of the image. And you even yeah. see some, um, what do you call it? The, the moray pattern when the dots become really, yeah. really evident and, um, they kind of clump together a little bit to create some bigger dots or circular dots. And that, it's really noticeable in the, in the, the car, car chase, chase issue. Yep. Because all the streets yeah. probably because the, um, the inker, added a some sort of zip tone mm-hmm. to to the to the street to give it some shading and those dots when it's reproduced poorly or reproduced at a slightly different size or something i'm not exactly sure how it happens um but you get that that pattern really standing out so usually the epic collections are really really tight with their reproduction but i find that this one the last third of the book starting at issue 11 is actually kind of terrible and makes it be one of the the worst reproduced epic collections that I've seen so far. Yeah, it's it's definitely not up to par with some of the 
more classic material that's in the masterworks and whatnot. It's um, and even even the newer material that's probably digital files like in the uh, the Daredevil epic and all that. It, the the last one. It's it's just very blurry. I don't know if there's a technical word, but a technical word. You're saying that it, the Daredevil but, one is blurry. No, I'm just saying that's since that's probably. I think that's probably the latest the epics go in terms of um yeah shadow of apocalypse wolverine shadow of apocalypse has newer material okay than that daredevil one but and those ones look great they do yeah those ones look nice and crisp and sharp probably you're right because they're digital but i don't know what happened in the process of this this book to make those issues not stand out but it happened yeah i, I was hoping it was just my copy but that's that's a disappointment to hear it's it's a, a problem yeah Definitely is. Well, and you know it's a problem when they they didn't have the page numbers printed at the bottom. Like the pages stop at three hundred and thirty five. Three hundred thirty five. So the last hundred and fifty to two hundred pages are numberless. You know, it hasn't been a problem with the epics yet, but they're sandwiching together these these stories that have never been collected before and it seems like the ball was just dropped in terms of getting the page numbers on there and yep. and finding better scans of this material. Yeah, well, I'm not even convinced that it's a poor scan. I think that it's just uh, someone didn't save their... When they recolored it, someone didn't save it at a proper resolution uh, or okay. like there was some sort of setting, printer setting that that didn't get hit. Or I, I don't know, but I don't know that it's scans to blame for this one. But yeah, anyway, that's those are my thoughts. Well, I'd welcome Jeff or Corey or somebody to uh let us know if uh what the issue was here, if there was some what what the problem was um or if that was intentional. Maybe there is no problem and we're just seeing things. Yeah, I, I wish I had the original issues in front of me to look, but um the page numbers is certainly that's not certainly a mistake. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we're going to go over to some listener comments. Um, we had uh, people talking to us on Facebook and at the Marvel Masterworks forum. Uh, on the forum, Goat Goblet says, Wolverine Volume 1 was different from what I expected. I've never been that interested in catching up with Wolverine solo stuff. This book had more of a crime noir feel than what I'm used to in X-Men books. Does this series continue going this way, or does it become more like a standard superhero book? <laughs> well, I think he'll be disappointed because it, it pretty much there, there's some more of this, but it, it pretty quickly turns yep. into crossovers and, and they get him back into the costume and, and everything. Yeah. yeah it's uh, especially once Larry Hama takes over, it's, um, it's pretty much all Wolverine superhero kind of fair. Yeah. It's, uh, it, and you know, he, Hama's run was, the bulk of this first series, 189 issues or whatever the series ran. And I, I like it, but it's definitely quite different from what you're reading in this first volume. Yeah. On Facebook, Tommy says, The Claremont and Busema run is an underrated gem, especially when Roughhouse and Bloodscream appear. Uh, the Grey Hulk slash Mr. Fixit issues are also very funny. 
Another thing to note is how at the time Wolverine was on stealth mode, only popping his claws out on last resort. You mentioned that earlier, um, as people believed he was dead along with the X-Men. By the way, the eye patch is also a funny thing as his eye was healed, but he had to stick to the Mr. Patch character. He didn't have to stick with it. He chose to stick with it because that was his new secret identity. Um, a little funny aside is that I first knew about Patch because of the Marvel Universe trading cards. Because I collected those when they were first out. That was 1990, I think, or 91. And um, and they uh, Wolverine had three cards in that set. He had his brown costume card, and he had a yellow costume card, and then he had the patch card. And that's <laughs> where I first learned that this was, um, this was even a thing. It was before I even really knew much about Wolverine, but I knew about patch pretty early on there. Well, I hope they include those cards in, in the next volume. Uh, that's a bit after this book, but that's part of, one of my favorite parts of uh, Marvel trades in general is that they include those cards a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't see why they wouldn't, because um, they have with the other volumes. So yeah, I hope they are too. Uh, Josh says, still reading this one, but really enjoying it. You can tell Claremont purposely put Logan in a different surrounding for his solo stuff, uh, create a new supporting cast, etc., and Matrapor as a setting works. It's grimy, corrupted, filled with morally ambiguous characters. Definitely a good setting for a guy who wants to stay on the down low. Having said that, for anyone familiar with Wolverine only through the cartoons or movies, this is a bit of a departure. No spandex, which isn't a bad thing. The patch identity and no Canadian wilderness. It's, it's all weird at first. Um, hi- highlights include the Busema artwork, the classic issue 10 birthday fight, and Wolverine versus Vampires. You know, I, I I think Wolverine's pretty flexible, and I think we've even seen that in the movies with um, all three of the solo Wolverine movies are very very different. Yeah, you you really he's really pretty adaptable, and I don't think a person picking up this book who's only watched the movies would be that that lost really. Yeah, the things that make Wolverine Wolverine are still present. His character, his sort of ambiguous moral code. Um, the claws, like it's, there's, uh, there's plenty in there that keep him true to himself, even if he's trying to be someone else and placed in a different setting. Yeah. If you can make it through Logan and not, and not worry about, you know, no costumes and no super villains. then I think this, this book would do fine. Right. Sammy says, wish Claremont would have gotten around to resolving the karma plot line. The later resolution in the beast miniseries was pretty lame. And I didn't even know there was resolution uh, at all. (laughs) Me either. In fact, I don't know. I don't even know that there needed to be resolution. Although she just kind of disappears from the story. She, she talks about rescuing her brother and sister, but I don't, it's such a thin thread in this book. And I'm not a huge fan of karma in general, but (laughs) yeah, I can't say I was really bothered by that being dropped. I didn't really even notice it. So yeah, neither did I. Have you read that other miniseries? I haven't. Um, no, her uncle does appear throughout more Wolverine though. Uh, general Coy appears, but yeah. And that miniseries came out about, I think 97 or so. Like it's quite a bit after this and it's not written by Claremont either. It's written by Keith Giffen. So it's interesting that even picked up on that little plot line. Well, that's all we have for uh, reader comments, but we have a Twitter poll that I put up on Twitter, and uh, many of you voted, and the question is, in the Wolverine epic collection Matterport Knights, Logan created a Persona patch. 
I don't include Patch in the list of uh, choices you get, but which of these alternate Wolverines is your favorite? Old Man Logan, Weapon X from the Age of Apocalypse, Dark Claw from the Amalgam Universe, or Captain Canada from the Marvel Superhero Squad? 50% of you said Old Man Logan, 25% said Weapon X, 25% said Dark Claw, and 0% said Captain Canuck. Um, Drew, what's your choice? <laughs> I'd have to go with uh, the Age of Apocalypse, Logan. Um, I think even though he was only in the, the four-issue series and the, and the specials and whatnot, they really did a good job with him and the whole conflict with Scott and him being with Gene just was something fans had been clamoring to see for 30 years at that point. So even if it was an alternate reality um, and Gene and Scott did end up back together, <laughs> uh, I, I think it was nice to see that. So, Yeah, I'm going to say Dark Claw. And I loved the Amalgam universe. I thought it was quite well executed and that one in particular has such a good balance between Wolverine and Batman so if you're not familiar the Amalgam universe is when Marvel and DC merged their characters and Batman and Wolverine became one Darkclaw and it was so distinctly Batman and so distinctly Wolverine I loved the concept and I thought it uh, I thought it worked really well so that was my vote Well, let's move over to the issues, and we can begin. It, it, this collection begins with Marvel Comics Presents. Like you said, it was an anthology series. And um, so Wolverine got an 8 or 10 page issue, and then there were also stories with other characters. Some of them were serialized, and some of them were just standalone. And uh, this first, uh, characters like Man-Thing, Master Kung Fu, Silver Surfer, um, they, they all got these they're the backup stories but wolverine was the headliner and this was sort of like a test to see if wolverine could hold his own series um, to see if people would be interested in it so uh, i'm going to play a little clip just before we get started here of of chris claremont talking about uh, wolverine in marvel comics presents my instinct with the setup in the weekly and then with wolverine itself was to do was to go to Madripoor and set him up as a completely different persona than anyone was used to seeing in X-Men. I figured this way we could play with the aspects. If, if it's going to be solo and it's going to be focused entirely on him, then we can play with those things that were not practical in X-Men simply because we're dealing with 15 characters. And there's only so much emphasis we can put on any one character in, at any one point in the story. So we can go into relationships. We can go into backstory, not necessarily in terms of Logan wanting to find out what my ancestry is, but here we have a character who has been established as being around since the mid-19th century, at least. Clearly, he has left a trail that that will be following him to the present day. He'll meet people. He'll do things. He'll encounter adversaries that will come ha come back to haunt him in the present. Let's play with that. Mm -hmm. And so 
putting it on Madripoor was to put it in an environment that was unlike anything we had ever seen the X-Men in a regular basis before. And something I, I always liked as cool, because this is me doing Terry and the Pirates. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, part Terry and the Pirates, part Maltese Falcon. So issue number one and issue number two, um, the way that the, the epic collection breaks them down is they put the, those two stories, those two 10-page um, issues together, and then they separate issue two and three with um, the covers of the next two issues. So... Uh, so it's kind of like it's just one one issue. It's the size of one issue. So we're going to deal with them two at a time as well. So issue number one and two, issue one is called The Good Guy. Issue two is called The Bad Guy. And in this we see um, Wolverine kind of first appearing in Madripoor looking for someone called The Tiger. He doesn't know who it is. He just has the name. And then in the second issue, Wolverine meets the bad guy, Mr. Roche and his bodyguard, Razor Fist. And Wolverine then runs into someone from his past, someone he knows called Jessen Hohen. And Jessen, Jessen is a character that appeared in X-Men just a few issues before this, before, it, like fairly recently. It was Uncanny X-Men number 229. Um, but uh, we'll get into her when we get into the next chapter. But uh, what are your thoughts on the start of Marvel Comics presents. Yeah, like I, I said before, I think there's a there's this beautiful splash page uh, to start the issue of Wolverine in costume, and then really throughout the course of this book, we don't see him in costume at all until uh, Peter David's run, right? Except for except for a flashback or two. So it, it's just a beautiful shot, and then the next two page spread of Madripoor. Um, to, to use a movie term, it's such a great establishing shot of where all of this is going to take place. And I, I really just like the world building. I like the villains in here. Um, just a, a good start to the story. The splash page really shows you the layout of Madripoor because there's two distinct sections in Madripoor. There's the highlands and there's the lowlands. And the highlands are where the big the big skyscrapers and, and everybody, all the rich people are there. And then there's the lowlands, which is you know the the shacks and and the it's the seedy underworld kind of 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 uh, of Madripoor and it's a it's a good way to show that even though you don't really know at the time what you're looking at and let me tell you the the combination of John Buscema and Klaus Janssen is just fantastic Klaus Janssen has such a such a dirty gritty style of inking and it i i think it really works with uh with this dirty city that Wolverine is taking place in here. Yeah, this isn't this isn't a bright costume book. It's dark and there's a lot of shadows and scenes and bars, which I mean you usually get with Wolverine, but um at this point in the history of the character, it's it's pretty pretty new to see Wolverine in this context. The the coloring is also really nice nicely done here and throughout the book um, because they, they stick with very muted, a muted palette. Um, there's a lot of greens and purples in here, um, but they are the muted kind of greens and purples to show, to show um, sort of a dim lighting. It's not your typical color palette in a comic book, that's for sure. Really well Yeah, seen. and 
Yeah, and except for for Razor Fist, uh, we don't. I th- I'm pretty sure he's the only character we see that. I mean, he doesn't really mesh with the world, and so he, he's a little out of place in terms of his costume and his abilities. But it's, <laughs> his costume is a, definitely out of place. Yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I don't even know if I want to take a shot describing it, but it's it's something. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's something like a go-go dancer would wear uh, <laughs> <laughs> with razors on his fists, long swords. Um, there are a couple of out of place. I feel like any time they tried to bring in any sort of super villain, it seemed out of place. Silver Samurai seemed a little out of place. Mm-hmm. Um, even like I know it, it's uh, still sort of Oriental culture, but it's mixing Chinese with Japanese. So that was kind of weird. Um, Even Bloodsport was kind of weird because all of a sudden we have a vampire in what was actually a very real world situation. Yeah. Um, So that was kind of weird. But but yeah, Razor Fist was by far the the weirdest thing to see here. And I mean, he's it's so clearly he's so clear that he's uh, set up to fight Wolverine with the giant spears or whatever you want to call them on his. Yeah his hands that yeah. you, you know where it's going, but at the same time, it's, it's just kind of, he's just very uh, out of place in this book. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of funny that the, the action, the whole story starts out being driven by a guy named Dave Chapel, who we never see in this book at all. Yeah, um, that's that's the whole reason Wolverine is in Madripoor. So it's, you know, whatever whatever excuse you need to get him in this setting, I guess, but he's not really even a character. He's just someone that people mention every now and then. Uh, so in the next two issues, issues three and four, issue three is called The Gals, and we learn some of Jess Hanhone's backstory, where she came from. Um, Wolverine ends up captured by a character named Sapphire Styx, and Razor Fist. And then issue four is called The Ordeal, and he is taken to Roche and tortured. Uh, he escapes, and there's a brief fight with Razor Fist, and he ends up thrown off the cliff and left for dead. If you go to page 35, there is one mention of uh, Wolverine says that he retracts his claws, that they, the claws come out of bionic housings in his forearm. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, the original, like this is far before anyone established, even Claremont established the fact that there are bones under the adamantium in his claws. It's supposed to be like mechanical implants, like the claws themselves are mechanical implants in his, in his hands instead yeah. of actually part of his skeletal structure. Yeah, and I think Wolverine's funny that way because if I'm remembering correctly, even in his first appearances in the x-men he really just had claws i don't i don't know the first time the healing factor was introduced but i think that came after a few issues and so yeah it was quite a few um yeah there's one scene where he's not in costume i think and and they're i think they're on a spaceship or something like that and he pops his claws to get out of some restraints and i think storm and banshee are there and they see him pop his claws and they're horrified and they're like, I always assumed those were just part of the costume. <laughs> and there's the classic line. He said, um, "He said, why didn't you tell us, Wolverine?" And he said, "You never asked." <laughs> yeah, he, he's um, 
he's interesting in that way, and they're, they're kind of the power creep. So, not that it affects his strength or anything, having the claws mm-hmm. attached to him permanently, part of his biology. It almost makes him weaker in a way once the the bone claws become a thing after the adamantians are removed. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I thought it was interesting in the torture scene with Roche. Uh, really, the whole Patch persona starts here where he gets his eye burned out on page 34, and it's somewhat of a minor moment in this story, but um, you can see Roche putting out a cigarette in his eye there. Yeah. And I, I thought that would probably have a bigger focus given that that's where Patch comes from, but it's really just kind of part of torture and part of Roche's uh, routine here. Yeah, it's if it's a blink and you miss it kind of moment. Can I just say also in the in that uh, torture scene, I love the coloring job on here as well. How like the backgrounds are all bright red, mm-hmm. just to indicate. I think to indicate a lot of the pain. And um, and just the, you know, your senses go kind of crazy when you're being, I mean, I don't know this personally, of course, but when you're being tortured, I could see just kind of everything going red. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the contrast between kind of the soft purples of the princess bar and then this yeah. very evil glow of red. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And even within the panel, um, in the second panel on page 34, when you see Wolverine strung up there, Roche and um, and Razor Fist are all in this kind of soft green, and Sapphire's in the foreground in all blue, which really makes the room pop out and stand stand out um, as a place that's that's uh, inflicting pain. It's yeah, it's, it's definitely um, somewhat of a brave choice for for coloring in in a Wolverine story in a superhero story. There's no way that a modern colorist does goes that way. Uh, I think you can get away with it because of, because it's a very flat coloring. You're limited with your color choices. Um, So that's how you differentiate between foreground and background and such in this world or in this era of coloring. But uh, yeah, there are very, very bold color choices all throughout this book. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, who's the colorist on this. Um, Glennis Oliver, who, is also Glennis Ween. She was married to Len Ween for a time. Um, but yeah, she does a lot of coloring in this era. Sapphire Sticks, I think it's a very interesting choice that they made her a redhead, given Wolverine's obsession with, with Jean Grey and such. <laughs> um, I, I feel like they do this all the time. Is they When they want to introduce a, uh, a female that's either dangerous for, for Wolverine or... Um, like he never he his love interests are usually um like they're oriental or something um but when you have someone who's actually um sort of uh not the right person for Wolverine they often make him a redhead and i think his mom was oh no in the Wolverine origins miniseries or his origin friend, miniseries uh, yeah he i can't remember rose. her name was it rose Probably that would make sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was a redhead a while, too. She but... was um, she looked like Jean Grey, so they kind of throw that in there all the time. Yeah, it's just kind of a, a little tease and wink to the fans, I guess. Mm-hmm. So moving on to issue number five and six, 
They're called The Rescue and Things Get Bad. Wolverine is hallucinating because of sapphire sticks and um, and fall, eventually falls into the river and ends up being saved by Jess. And uh, she patches him up. <laughs> patches. That's a, I didn't mean <laughs> to make that pun, but it happened. Um, patches him up. He heals. And um, there's a big explosion on the boat that they're in. And uh, in issue number six, um, Jess kind of explains her. She We get a little backstory for her. And uh, then she is revealed to be the tiger that Wolverine has been looking for. Yeah, do you want to talk about Jess's past here a little bit? Yeah. Um, I, I I like the way Claremont took what you would think is a throwaway character from one issue of X-Men and really turned her into um, somewhat of a love interest and crime lord and all-around pretty cool character in the form of Tiger, which I'm not sure if we're aware of that at this point, but um, that she's Tiger or if Wolverine's aware of it. But uh, I, I like the idea that she was kind of infected with one of the Reavers' personalities um, from the X-Men and that she's really a mix of who she used to be, this mild-mannered banker and a Reaver, and now she's this crime lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, and it all happened kind of as a result of what happened in, because of Wolverine. That's why she got to be the way she is because her family shunned her um, after she was mixed up in all of this this stuff, and she just kind of had to. I guess she fell into the wrong crowd or something, but she used her her knowledge of banking and accounting and such to help the underworld get their affairs in order. So I thought that was kind of funny. I thought it was interesting that Wolverine sees Mariko during his hallucination, hallucination and not, not Jean, since usually that's the go-to is, is Jean. True, but Jean, was Jean dead by this point? Um, I think, I think she was back as part of oh, X-Factor. Oh, part of X-Factor. Yeah, I think Wolverine kind of got over... I mean, not really got over, but th- his relationship with Mariko is definitely more recent than the yeah. stuff that with Gene. So I think that that's uh, that makes sense. So yeah, this is this is the issue where we first get to see Wolverine put on his patch, um, which becomes his iconic th- disguise throughout the rest of this book. Here, I, I like the hallucination scene as well at the beginning of issue five. Um, it. Uh, not only do we see Wolverine in his costume, the the coloring job that we were mentioning before doesn't appear in the flashback. Like it's very much your standard brightly colored wolf, um, comic book coloring in his hallucination. Yeah, I think they kind of they kind of trick you for a little bit. And as soon as he snaps out of the the hallucination, it goes back to the very the very uh, stylized coloring job. Mm-hmm. So it's nice little attention to details like that. Yeah. Wolverine talks about his honor in this issue as well, and it's always hard to pin down exactly what he considers honorable and what he doesn't because he will, he'll like spare a bad guy 
because the bad guy has a kid, but he'll go and slaughter a million soldiers not knowing if any of them have kids and doesn't care about it. Um, so, you know, things like that. It's, it's uh, He kind of makes up his... I feel like he makes up his, his code as he goes along. Yeah, it, it doesn't... Even, yeah, throughout this book, there's there's characters who he, he just kills and then there's characters who he says no don't kill them and there doesn't really seem to be any rhyme or reason to it other than other than showing that he has a code but it's kind of scattershot so yeah okay uh in issues seven and eight of this story they are titled things get worse and the fight so we see uh, Logan and Jess swim to shore, and they learn that Roche has captured O'Donnell, the bartender at the Princess Bar, because they think he is the tiger. Um, so they head up to Roche's estate, where Wolverine runs into Razor Fist again. Yeah, I think he's run into Razor Fist three times now in these mm-hmm. short <laughs> pages. It's always interesting trying to... Um, uh, write ten-page stories, like serialize something, because you want to have the action because this is a superhero book after all, and a Wolverine book. But you have to have enough time to actually tell a story and move the plot along at the same time. So the yeah. the battles with Razor Fist are short and sweet. And speaking with speaking of personal codes, um, in the first fight on page thirty-seven between the two. Razor Fist has a code and he, he says, Oh, I wish I wish we had met under different circumstances and he kind of salutes Wolverine. So he, I think he needs to be careful saluting on his head there, but <laughs> yeah. um he he's got somewhat of a code too. So there's a little a little development uh of who this guy is. Mm-hmm. In the uh in issue eight is we f- get to, we first get to see Wolverine in his brand new Madripoor costume which is this black outfit with a uh, with a red belt, no sleeves, and he has this kind of mesh across his eyes. Yeah. I I really don't care for this costume and the mesh just never it never made sense to me. No. I don't understand what it's supposed to be. It's not disguising who he is at all and it seems kind of hard to see through but <laughs> well and Busema would sometimes draw it and sometimes not draw it like it was kind of hit or miss whether Wolverine actually was had it on him anyway it's so weird yeah, yeah. so in some some spots it looks like a even just a shadow it doesn't even look like part of a costume mm-hmm. now and, and just the fact that it's like it's short sleeves and I understand that because it's like this is a really hot humid land that he's in so he probably wants to not be covered full up, but then he's got these gloves. Um, it's like either take off the gloves, you don't need them, or uh, or give yourself full sleeves. I'm just reminded of like the, the costume he wears in the Uncanny X-Force comics. Mm-hmm. And, like there's a nice dark stealth costume and he could have done something like that, just not, not have the mask. Yeah, I mean, I, I get they were probably trying to go for something that can't be tied to the to Wolverine at all since he's supposed to be dead, but it's really just it doesn't work at all for me. Yeah. Well, I do like um the whole infiltration scene and seeing Jess kind of turn into this mercenary character. Um 
I think I think they really do a good job of showing that she's tough and has Wolverine's back, but she still is out for her own her own ends. Mm-hmm. So issue number nine and ten, this is the conflict and the resolution. And issue nine is pretty much a big fight um, between Wolverine and Razorfist. And also Tiger and the Inquisitor, the guy who is torturing people. Um, and then also Tiger versus Sapphire Sticks. So they have, uh, they they just face off and, and it's just action, wall-to-wall action. Um, it's a nice resolution to uh, the Razor Fist fight. Like we, it's a, it's a pretty decent fight and it's well choreographed. I really like the way that Busema laid out the action, especially in that final page on page 80. Mm-hmm. Um, just really nicely done. And then um, issue 10, the resolution, Jess finally takes out Roche in kind of what I thought was kind of an anticlimactic way. Logan is presumed dead in this battle. And uh, so she says goodbye to Logan. And then she goes on to assume the the tiger persona and her place in the crime world. She takes over Roche's network and becomes the major crime boss in Madripoor. I, I really liked all of this coming to a head, uh, especially the fight with Tiger and Sapphire and just the brutality of it. And Tiger tears out her throat or attempts to. And I, I have to disagree with you on the the way Roche is taken out because really we haven't seen him fight at all. He, he's kind of this Colonel Sanders looking character and, it's it's another kind of blink and you'll miss it moment, but just seeing his head after Tiger decapitates him is I think it's pretty brutal. <laughs> uh, That's true. That one panel is pretty brutal. Yeah, just lying next to him there. Yeah. And I, I think for for a comic, uh, you know, a mainstream comic from Marvel, that's that's pretty brutal. And you know, there's not blood or anything, but um, it's pretty violent. So yeah, and then I did like seeing Tiger's. Um, sort of big reveal and this is pretty much the way she'll look throughout the rest of the series every time she appears in wolverine yeah nice to see wolverine in in a dinner jacket as well (laughs) yeah the uh the sean connery kind of look (laughs) yep (laughs) wolverine mentions um the x-men and being in australia going home to australia and i think it's the first time they've really mentioned that going on in this book here so like i think he's yeah that Wolverine is dead, presumed dead, but uh, he hasn't talked about the X-Men really at all. Yeah, for the most part, it's it's pretty isolated in terms of the continuity, and you, you don't really need any, any X-Men background at all to read this. So one thing to note is that Wolverine number one came out in November 88, which is the same the same month as Marvel Comics presents number six and seven. So the first three issues of Wolverine, the Wolverine ongoing series, are running concurrently to the end of the Save the Tiger storyline in Marvel Comics Presents. Well, I guess the the experiment in Marvel Comics Presents must have worked really well then. Yeah, but and I think that they knew the whole time that he was going to get an ongoing series. And yeah. it, this wasn't really a test because um, if the first issue of Wolverine comes back or comes out two months after 
the start of Marvel Comics Presents, that's not even enough time for the fan mail to come in to see how, what the reaction is like. Right. So they knew right off the bat that they were, he was going to get his own series. And I don't know, they just wanted... I'm sure they wanted Wolverine to also kick off the anthology series that they were doing, so they had to put him in the same in the same world that the ongoing was. It was probably the easiest thing to do, especially if Claremont's writing them all. <laughs> and I, I think, I mean, obviously it's Wolverine, and we kind of take for granted that he's so successful, but I think they knew, and even still they did make some brave, brave choices and bold choices in terms of the coloring and the lack of costume. And I, I don't think it's until page 79 or 80 in this book that we even see him use his claws to fight. Um, there's a couple, a couple scenes where they're out, but he's not fighting with them. So for a Wolverine book, um, that's, that's something pretty unique that you don't, see too often mm -hmm. which is is nice to show that wolverine isn't his claws he isn't right. defined by them um like i think he uses them to get out of the chains when he's tortured and stuff but um yeah he's still wolverine if, even if you take that away from him yeah and and yeah it is his most defining feature but it's not in terms of the character and the continuity um he he's a lot deeper than that and he's he's smarter he, he uses his wits and his his fist uh and only the claws as a last resort so mm -hmm. uh, wolverine number one came out in november of 88 well, that's the cover date and it's called sword quest uh wolverine is investigating a hijacked plane and slaughters all the pirates on the ground uh he learns from Mariko's secretary, who is one of the passengers, that these pirates were hired by something called the Cult of the Black Blade, seeking the Muramasa sword in Madripoor. Uh, we go back to Madripoor, and the cult is attacking Lindsay McCabe, who just arrived, but she says her friend Jesse has the sword. Yeah, so this is the first appearance in this book of Lindsay McCabe, um, and she has only had brief run-ins with the X-Men um, at up until this point. So, like she, Wolverine knows who she is, but uh, she doesn't. Uh, she doesn't really recognize Logan. Partly, probably because he was in costume, like with his mask and everything, when they were working on cases together. Yeah, um, I I haven't read the uh, Claremont Spider Woman at all, so I wasn't familiar with her at all. Um, this is my only exposure to her, and she's really kind of a surprising character, and she really uh, steps up to the plate in terms of surviving these crazy situations and surviving in the low town of Madripoor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she holds her own. She's uh, Even though she has no powers, um, she is still a valuable member of the team throughout this, and it's neat to see her character come on and grow um like you i don't really know anything about jess except for what's written here in this book so um it's uh it, yeah she was she's a great addition to the cast and it was really nice to have uh wolverine have a supporting cast because he didn't really have a supporting cast through the marvel comics presents issues yeah um 
really, yeah, in the Marvel Comics Presents issues, it was just a couple villains and Tiger, and that was that was it. Yep. Um, I like on page 96, I kind of played a game of Where's Waldo throughout the rest of this book. There's this henchman in a red and white striped shirt, and I don't know if it was Claremont or Buscema who had him put in there, but uh, <laughs> that that henchman, or that at least that shirt, pops up a number of times throughout the book, so it's nice. kind of kind of a fun game to play if you're following along on the to this podcast <laughs> i never noticed so i'll have to keep my eyes open as we go through this that's funny um we switch inkers here for this uh for the series the ongoing series inker is now al williamson and i uh, while he tries to do his best sort of klaus jensen impression um it's not exactly the same sort of grittiness that uh, that we had in the other issues. Um, we'll see that grittiness return when Bill Sienkiewicz starts inking during the Peter David run. But uh, this is still good. He still does a good job. But what what stays around is um, Glynis Oliver's colors. The color palette is exactly the same as we had in uh, in the previous one. You know, skies are always dark, kind of this purple and and hazy and. Um, it's just, uh, it's well done. I like the consistency. You know, I, I pulled out, um, Wolverine number one is one of the few comics I have left, just like you, in, in terms of single issues. And so I pulled it out to compare to this, and some of the um, the colors are actually different compared to the original issue. Really? Uh, not, not anything major, but like the sky backgrounds, uh, they'll be kind of more red, um, and sometimes just totally different colors. Uh, there's a lot more brown in the epic collection than there is in the original issue. So I don't know if that continues throughout the book. I'm assuming it does. I don't have the original issues to compare, but um, just something, something interesting I noticed. Hmm. Uh, I really like the, the hostage situation with the, the hijackers, with the pirates. Um, we don't know who any of these characters are. We don't know who the hostages are or the pirates. So it's, it really felt like anything could happen and anyone could, could be killed off. So I, I, the tension there was really well done. It was a great first issue. Let me tell you, it felt like a movie opening. You know how movies always, action movies always start with like, we're we're placed in the middle of a scene Mm -hmm. and things are happening and it's exciting and and only after the resolution do we actually get to kind of meet the characters and find out what the actual story is. So yeah, I thought and that you're was coming here. from you're coming from Wolverine in a, a James Bond kind of suit, and you're diving into what's essentially a James Bond opening, like you said, with uh, an action scene, and and then the credits, the opening credits start, and you get yep. into more of the uh, the establishment and exposition. Yeah, yeah, it's really well done. Issue number two is called Possession is the Law, and in this one, Logan has to fight Jessica Drew, who is possessed by the Black Blade, the sword that she has. Um, this is a... Uh, I, I asked Chris Claremont why he put Jessica Drew in, and um, he gave me a really, really short answer and then moved on to something else. So I'll play that really, really short answer right here, just so you can hear it. So why did you put Jessica Drew as a supporting character in, in the ongoing? Oh, well, she was available. 
yeah. I, you know, I'd written, I'd written Spider Woman for a long time, and um, it, quite frankly, gave him somebody interesting and different to talk to, a, a, a foil to play off of. Right. I mean, otherwise, he's just standing around, look, you know, wearing an eye patch and looking snarly at people. She's kind of a pet character of, of Claremont at this point, and, um, you know, it's it's really common for writers to to finish off or tie in their characters that they left hanging. And mm-hmm. I think that was just Claremont saying, well, who can I stick in here? Who do I know? And she was available. Yep. Plus she wasn't a costume superhero at this point. She had hung up her tights and was a private investigator. So she works even with what Claremont is trying to do with Wolverine at this point. So it makes, it makes sense. Yeah, um, if you're not familiar with her, seeing her kind of unleashed here with the uh, the black blade is is pretty intense. She uh, she does some damage, and you really get the sense of what this sword does to people. And it's all kind of building to well, who's gonna who's gonna hold this sword next? You know, mm-hmm. and how will it how will it affect them? In this issue, also we, uh, the Silver Samurai comes into the into play. Yeah, Silver Samurai is just—he's very. I've never cared for him as a, an X Men villain or a Wolverine villain. Yeah. Um, he's he's very. I don't know. I think stiff is probably the best word to use in terms of his character and his appearance. It just he doesn't seem that dynamic to me. And I think part of it is that you don't know if he's a good, good guy or a bad guy. He kind of, he has this honor, Japanese honor that he goes by, but uh, um, makes his actions unpredictable sometimes. Um, by the end of this issue, um, we Wolverine takes the blade from Jessica, and then he gets possessed by the blade, which is that's bad news if our main character, the uh, the main the main uh, guy with. Um, kind of the most dangerous man in Madripoor is now evil. Yeah, and there's a few times in the the Peter David story at the end of this book where um, the Gehenna Stone, which we'll get into later, is it's a similar kind of object to this black blade that possesses people and and kind of turns them evil. And so it's interesting to see that this blade totally takes Logan over in terms of personality and he's to the point that he's willing to kill jessica and the other one doesn't yeah yeah it doesn't seem to affect him at all and he he makes a few comments about it in those issues yeah well i'm i'm just i'm just uh already i'm a a, a bad enough guy or whatever (laughs) he says right (laughs) um in between each one of the issues the solo issues here um you we have a pinup by a different artist uh, like after issue number two here is a pinup by Bill Sienkiewicz, a very mm. hairy Wolverine. These <laughs> appeared on the back covers of each issue. There wasn't an ad on the back cover. It was this pinup, these pinups. Yeah, I thought that was really something unique um, to those books to sacrifice that ad space and and feature mm-hmm. some really quality artists throughout this yeah. collection. I know that Excalibur was doing the same thing at the time. Um, and I don't know if any other books were doing that as well. The uh, the one after issue two here is 
and I love Bill Sinkovich, but <laughs> it's just such a a goofy image. It um, is. It's very it's very abstract in in parts. It almost looks like a uh, a Sam Keith pinup. <laughs> yeah, you're right. We're at Wolverine number three. Uh, Wolverine three is called the Black Blade. So we see Wolverine with the sword here. Um, he ends up escaping with Jessica to sacrifice her at a later time. Uh, there's this really fun scene with Lindsay McCabe, and she quote-unquote tortures um, one of the cult members with O'Donnell at the Princess Bar to get some information on where this sacrifice is going to take place. And so they head over there and defeat Logan um, and defeat the cult. And we end up with the Silver Samurai uh, possessing the Black Blade for better or for worse. I think that the opening splash page on what page 139, mm-hmm. Wolverine shirtless with an eye patch and a sword. <laughs> He's really a pirate <laughs> now. I love all of the the references to just like the Chinese pirates. And this was a, this is kind of a throwback. Chris Claremont said that he, this is his way of writing Terry and the Pirates, which was an mm-hmm. old comic strip from the 30s and 40s which what took place, it had American heroes in um, a pre-World War II China where it kind of the seedy underbelly was overrun by these Chinese pirates. And so uh, you get a very kind of American-looking pirate out of Wolverine <laughs> mixed in with the, the Chinese pirates. It's just, you know, Wolf, it's any excuse to get Wolverine in, in samurai garb. He seems to wear it a lot in his in his life and and the whole scene with the cult is just really well done and there, there's a lot of tension with setting up Lindsay as a sniper because she's worried about Jessica being sacrificed but she doesn't want to kill the guy she knows is Patch so yeah. she doesn't know she doesn't know a bullet's not going to do anything to him um so that, that I think that was really well done. It was. I especially liked that the um, the background stayed completely black mm-hmm. for for that entire kind of Lindsay torture scene. That when when Lindsay is torturing the person, because it gives this very stark I don't know this very stark atmosphere in which she's she's doing all of these kind of crazy things. Yeah, and that that image of her coming out with the uh, I mean, it's just. It's very dark humor, but uh, her coming out with the uh, the bloody knife yeah. and and threatening the other guy, and you only find it out afterwards that it's it, it was all an, an act. But um, it, it's really she sells it well. Yep. Well, she's an actress, <laughs> so that's a uh, that's kind of her deal. Yeah, and that's a that's a great way to bring that aspect of her character in because you're kind of. She has no power. She, she's kind of out of place in this underworld. But you know, she's she's still able to uh, to participate and and help out the group. Yeah. So then we also get to see the um, sort of the ritual scene where the demon that has taken over Wolverine is going to sacrifice Jessica, who's I guess kind of under a mind control or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's kind of willingly doing this, and all of these guys dressed in purple. Um, 
Yeah, and again, Lindsay steps up to the plate. Like you were saying, this, the sniper scene was really good. It's a really just well done finish to this book, to this three-part arc here. Um, seeing seeing Wolverine being possessed and basically willing to murder any of the characters in this book is is pretty interesting. Now, the I found that the panel count throughout this issue was pretty high. I like mm-hmm. they, they keep they were really trying to cram in a lot of story into this issue. So usually John Buscema divides his pages into six panels. Um, but this this issue in particular, most of the pages have eight or nine panels per um, per page, which is very unlike John, who likes a lot more kind of open open panels and open space to play with. Especially the final panel, the final battle as with uh, Demon Wolverine on page one fifty eight and one fifty nine. There are just a lot of panels in that page. Yeah, it it does feel a little compressed. And when I reread this, I I was surprised because I didn't remember the whole thing taking just three issues. And that's, I mean, it's really just a short arc. And um, I don't I don't think we see the Silver Samurai again. I don't think we ever hear of this cult again in this book. So it it's really um, kind of compressed at the end here. Yeah. Um, after issue number three is a short, I consider this a bonus feature rather than actual part of the narrative story because it doesn't have any bearing on what's going on here as well. Um, it is a short story from Marvel Age Annual number four. And it basically just kind of tells what Wolverine is up to these days. Yeah, I'm surprised this is even in the middle of the book here. Um, it's... It's really just a status check on the different X teams, and they all kind of are mentioned. And yeah, and I I don't even know why it's listed as far as on the back of the book and the table of contents. It's it's kind of odd to me. Yeah, I mean it's nice, and I'm glad they included it. It's got a great cover by Arthur Adams, um, but it's uh, it and it's by the same creative team. Like it's definitely um, Buscema and and Jensen doing the art and. So it's nice that it's included, but it, yeah, it didn't need to be in the middle of the book here. It could have been at the end. Yeah, and it even at the the last page of it, it says, and don't miss the first issue of Wolverine on sale soon. So it's kind of odd placement no matter, no matter what. Yeah, right. Well, we can move on to issue number four, which is the start of a new story, um, introducing two characters, uh, two new characters, Rough House and Bloodsport. Um, and in this issue, Bloodsport and Roughhouse attempt to kill Tiger, but guess who stops them? Yes, it's Wolverine. And we get a, um, a guest appearance from Karma, who is from the New Mutants. So that's um, that's a very brief rundown of it. There's, of course, a lot more to who, what's going on here, like who's hired them and that kind of stuff. But um, Bloodsport is um, a character that pops up from time to time and he is sort of like a vampire. Mm-hmm. He's apparently centuries old, um, although you don't know that in this book. Um, and his name is later changed to Blood Scream because there's also a DC character called Bloodsport. Um, so they didn't want to confuse the characters. 
So he he uh, goes by Blood Scream. I think after this appearance, and then Rough House is um, an interesting character because you don't know really anything about him, about his history here. But he says there's one thing he says later in, in a later issue. He makes a reference to Ymir's blood, mm-hmm. like the I- icy. What is what is it? Um, Oh, Ymir's, Ymir's icy breath on page 225. <laughs> so he's probably got some Asgardian origins in there somewhere. Yeah, and he he makes a couple references to... Um, to where he comes I, from. and Yeah, and he, if he... He never would have left or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like all the women where I come from, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, he's obviously from a different land. And... Um, it's interesting because this is where he first appears and Claremont's giving us some hints, but we never, it, it's just a cool way to introduce the character. Yeah. And you never, you never feel like it's out of place or anything. It's just, it's just almost, um, little Easter eggs if, if you're paying attention and you don't, if you'd ever think about the guy again, that's fine. But if you, if you notice those things, you say, Oh wow, this guy actually has some sort of, some sort of backstory to him. Mm-hmm. And I know I uh, have been commenting a lot about the coloring in this one, and I don't usually comment about the colors in comic books um, in these podcasts, but this one is just standout. The first few pages of this issue are just fantastic. I especially love the splash page on page one uh, 171, where mm-hmm. everything is just soaked in this green color. Green and with the light... Um, orange and red lights coming from the sirens and stuff like that from the police cars. You yeah, it's the, a beautiful page. It's so good. And um, and Busema, or I guess maybe it's even Williamson, doesn't ink the side of the characters that the light is shining on um, and leaves it up to the to the colorist to fill in that line. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the fill and the the lines in the background also outline the character. So it's it's just a really cool effect. Um, it's a, it's a great page. Whoever owns that original art is, uh, it's got a, a great deal there. <laughs> I mean, the atmosphere just is, is dripping from this book and from every, every color of the page. It's just, it's hard not to, to get absorbed into this environment of Madripoor. And you know what, maybe I'll put in a clip here about, um, about Claremont creating or designing the just um, the Madripoor city and his thought behind that. The idea of Madripoor Hightown on the bluffs overlooking the harbor was the quintessential mid-late 21st century technopolis. You know, all you have to do is, but there's a new, uh, I think, iPhone commercial set in Shanghai, where they just, you know, you've got this couple going through the city taking photographs, but the backdrop, the, when you, what you see across the river, the, the high rises, the, the, the visual design, the industrial design that goes into mm-hmm. downtown Shanghai nowadays is just breathtaking. Yeah, as as it is with Hong Kong, um, that was that was what I wanted with with High Town. But then you go down into Lowtown, which is the the waterfront, the actual waterfront, and there 
the essence for me was 19, late 1930s classic Hollywood backlot mystery dive. All, you know, all, all shadows all the time, even in high noon, um, windy streets, water everywhere, sinister people, even if they aren't, they just have that look. Mm-hmm. The kind of place where anything can anything creepy can happen, where you expect it, where you go down there for an adventure, and as the saying goes, shite happens. This is also the first appearance of Archie Corrigan, who becomes a reoccurring character throughout this book. And um, actually, for quite a chunk of Wolverine's solo book, he, he keeps on popping up. Um, Wolverine, when he first meets up with Karma, he's speaking a different language. And you can tell because the speech bubbles um, have these kind of um, pointed parentheses around them, which always indicates a foreign language being spoken. Um, that's on page... Oh, yeah, it's uh, 176. Yeah, 176. So that must be, I'm assuming that it's uh, Vietnamese since karma is Vietnamese. Um, but it could also be French. Oh, no, no, he says um, it's no, he says it's Vietnamese. Yeah, yeah, he says it's a little rusty. That's right. Yeah, so he, he speaks... How many languages does he speak? Because I'm also assuming <laughs> if he's living in Madripoor, he's got to have some sort of rudimentary um, Chinese, Mandarin, or whatever they speak there um, as well. So, Well, I think Madripoor's supposed to be off the coast of Indonesia. Um, so I'm not sure. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not, a, it's, a, it's an own Island, I think. So it's, uh, I'm not sure what they would speak there, but yeah, there's quite the mix. Uh, it's a cross section of a whole bunch of different, yeah, different languages and races here. And this, this is karma's first appearance in a while, I think after leaving the new mutants. So it's kind of, Interesting to see her pop up here and and join the supporting cast for a while. Yeah, and she's been working for her uncle, and does she, and she doesn't know kind of um, everything that's going on behind the scenes uh, with like because her uncle is General Coy, who is the mm-hmm. other um, the other major crime boss in Madripoor, um, the one who is I guess Tiger's main rival. Yeah, um, he, like I said earlier, he kind of uh, pops up now and then throughout Wolverine um, series and is is somewhat of a foil for him. And uh, Am I reading this right, or does Karma not know who Wolverine is at all? Um, in this one, she doesn't know because Wolverine, first of all, is dark, and he stayed behind her. Okay. Um, so he, she can't see who it is. Probably because Wolverine knows that she would recognize him. Um, but then they they meet face to face later on. So I'm not sure. Yeah. He um he definitely stays out of the way, and and doesn't show his face to to her at all, in this scene. If you're if you know Karma, I mean, working for her uncle is so much against her personality, but she's willing to to do that to justify to make the ends justify the means and 
kind of adds a nice little dynamic to the book. Mm-hmm. Speaking of karma, um, in issue number five, which is titled Hunter's Moon, uh, we open with her in Bloodhouse, and he sort of samples her blood and is able to track her from then on, which is an ability we'll see and use again. I think that's a nice addition to um, kind of vampire mythology. Because mm-hmm. you don't, uh, I don't think I've ever seen any vampire who's claimed to be able to do that before. Yeah, it, you know, it, it sounds kind of familiar in terms of vampires, um, but I, I couldn't point to anything where that's true or where, where I remember reading that. Um, but yeah, it definitely, it definitely makes sense for, for a vampire to be able to do that in terms of, in terms of, uh, powers. So, so Wolverine and, uh, his pilot friend, Archie Corrigan go and take down General Coy's drug business, uh, his opium plant. And in the meantime, Jessica, Lindsay McCabe and Tiger are visiting Landau, Luckman and Lake, and they get attacked by Roughhouse and Bloodsport again. I'm not familiar with Landu, Luckman, and Lake at all. Is this the first time we see them, or have they, have they popped up before? No, I believe this is the first time. They're kind of, I don't know, they're kind of this interdimensional, I don't know what the word is, a brokerage or expediters or, uh, but yeah, they're, they pop up throughout Wolverine and, take him to different dimensions every now and then and uh they're they're a very mysterious group right okay so i really like the fact um if you go to page number 210 while um wolverine's doing all of this fighting and stuff he doesn't kill a bunch of the soldiers that are here and um at first i was like like they make a big deal about it about um like how come he all of these guys are left alive and i was like okay Claremont's just keeping it PG or whatever, but then he thinks to himself, no, I've left these guys alive because it'll slow down these other guys. Um, if they're dead, they'll just leave the bodies and continue following, but if they're alive, they'll be compelled to help their friends. So. Yeah, I, I don't know if I buy that necessarily with with drug mercenaries, but it's it's a really nice justification of, of what he's doing or, or not doing in this case. Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know why Claremont would try to keep the book PG given what no. we've seen so far, but. Right, exactly. Well, and that's, it's, he's not, it's, um, it's a strategy that yeah. Wolverine has. And I, I thought it was as well thought out. In fact, I like this whole issue, the whole, uh, it had a very war, like Vietnam kind of feel to it, just based on the comics, the, uh, the other comics that I've read that are war themed. Um, I love, I really like the, the strategy and stuff behind it. Yeah, and and Wolverine in stealth mode, taking guys out is always fun to see, and and yeah. jumping up on guys and taking their jeeps and and whatnot. So it's it's a, a good action issue, even even though he's in that that costume again. <laughs> right. Yeah. What is with that mesh? Is it <laughs> is it like nylons that he's stringing across his face, or <laughs> right, some pantyhose? Yeah. <laughs> Or does he draw those the cross hatches on his face every single time he goes out at night? You don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why he even needs to be in a costume, why he can't just 
go as patch or, or whatever, but, yeah. but it, it does kind of differentiate between, well, this is, you know, patch on the streets and I guess, I guess he's going by Wolverine or we consider him Wolverine in that, in that costume. But Okay. Moving on to number six is called rough house. And this is kind of the third of this next trilogy. And we have here in, in the previous issue, Bloodsport and rough house found, they tracked because of, um, because of the connection with, Jessica with Bloodsport's connection with Jessica, um, they tracked them down to the the house of Landu, Luckman, and Lake, and Roughhouse brought it to the ground, and they kidnapped all three of them. Tiger is injured in uh, in that issue as well, so she is in bad shape, and uh, and so all three of them are captured and taken to General Coy, and then in this issue, Wolverine and Karma team up to uh, to get them back. And I like the uh, I like the team up. I especially like that Karma's trying to take matters into her own hands, but gets herself into some trouble. She's trying to not let her general or let her uncle get away with with too much. She's really trying to play both sides as best she can. But Archie is in on this case, so we really have all of the team players in in one one issue here. Everybody's all of the parties have come together uh, to this kind of finale of this trilogy here. We also in, in this issue, Tiger is covered in this armor mm-hmm. um, that's that protects her, and it's like the armor can only come off with a key that Lindsay has. Um, Wolverine had this custom made, but he doesn't say where he got it. Do we ever find out where this armor comes from? Uh, no, it's kind of an odd little little feature. Let's see, did it come from Lando, Luckman, and Lake, or did it? Is that where they picked it up? No, I think he said he got it. From from somewhere else yeah they don't really ever explain where it's from or who it's for well it was originally for Lindsay because she didn't have any superpowers okay but um when bloodsport and roughhouse attacked and tiger is injured and out for the count Lindsay put the armor on her on tiger so that um which is why Lindsay has the key and tiger can't get out of it because it was supposed to be for Lindsay's, and she had the key so she could get out of her own outfit actually if you go to page 205 it looks like they do get it at lando luckman and lake yeah and they say it's part of an order placed for a colleague and it I, i'm blanking but it, i mean on whether it looks like a psylocke kind of armor it does to me yeah um, and i don't know if it ever showed up in the x books later on but yeah it wouldn't surprise me okay so yeah maybe one of you uh listeners who are more knowledgeable about this era of wolverine can let us know just leave us a comment on the website or on facebook or somewhere where we can see it that'd be great we would like to know (laughs) like you mentioned before on page 226 the uh the mesh mask is really, it almost looks like a... It's just a, like, a sunburn or something. Bissema forgot to draw draw it in there, and so the colorist is like, <laughs> oh, I better just put the, the shading on so that there is some consistency. But uh, yeah, it's, um, it's like it's not even there anymore. Uh, and then the appearance of the prince on the last page here is, he's got quite the outfit. Um, it's almost a, a pirate swashbuckler yeah, outfit. Yeah, so. it really is. It's uh, it does seem like it's a classic. Um, I would almost put it in with like Flash Gordon, mm-hmm. um, something you'd see there. Definitely not what you'd think the Prince of Madripoor would be wearing, but there you go. No, and he's he's kind of the uh, the last piece here in terms of Madripoor. He does appear 
every now and then and he's he's a power player and kind of as we'll see employs jessica drew throughout the rest of the book mm-hmm. so issue seven is called mr fix it comes to town for those who don't know mr fix it is the hulk and he arrives in madripoor to check out general coy for a an employer of his kind of as a favor and really there's not a whole lot that happens but prince baron or baron takes control of the situation at the end of the book here. And then in issue number eight, we see Wolverine and and Hulk, or sorry, Patch and Mr. Fix-It uh, teaming up <laughs> and uh, and really taking down the operation. <laughs> kind of, um, it, it's just, it's kind of a humorous issue um, because Wolverine and Hulk are, they're not buddies through this and Wolverine kind of tricks Hulk into doing a lot of the dirty work. But they eventually find out that um, the employer is being lying to to Mister Fixit, and that Mister Fixit was uh, supposed to somehow I'm not exactly sure, but uh, end up killing Tiger for General Coy. And so Mister Fixit, not liking to be to being used, uh, decides that he's just going to kind of smash everything, and he does. And then he goes back. So it's it's a nice two parter. It's kind of the first big name guest star in the solo book, and it's really. It's a, it's a fun piece. It's kind of nice and light, but I was surprised at how much plot and exposition there was in this book. Mm-hmm. For two guys that are known for their fighting, there was a lot of actual talking. There was a lot, and it, it just it, it never really seemed clear to me as far as what exactly Mister Fixit was supposed to do. I mean, I understand he was there to check on General Coy, but he he was being used, and then it, it just never was explained very clearly um to me at least but yeah like you said it's really just kind of there's a lot of light-hearted humor and a lot of pranks pulled on mr fix it and you really just see wolverine leaning back and smoking and and giving a smirk while uh while mr fix it gets himself into trouble and and deals with the situation so i thought it was really appropriate that the that um that these two team up the two guys who are currently put trying to uh, have aliases that are not their typical aliases, mm-hmm. Patch and Mister Fixit. So it was a it was a fitting team up, and the fact that um, Hulk, even though he fought Wolverine way back in, like over and over again, but like Wolverine first appeared in the Incredible Hulk, and uh, Wolverine and Hulk doesn't really recognize who he is through all of that. Yeah, and it's just really like like you said, the the pairing is great and it's perfect timing because you could you could not do this with any other aspect or personality of the Hulk. You could really only do this with Mister Fixit. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, people are surprised when he's in these eras when he's so intelligent and has his wits about him, but he's also kind of hot tempered and stuff. I I don't have a lot of exposure to Mister Fixit uh, as far as this period on in Peter David's run on the Incredible Hulk, but uh, it's definitely a different take on the character and really kind of a fun one to read. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of fun. So these two issues are penciled and inked by Busema, so he's inking his own stuff, and it's really really nice. It's quite slick. It's very clean. It's not like the other issues. When I recorded the Fantastic Four All in the Family um, episode, I was saying that Busema was just not on his game. He, his layouts and his characters were all sloppy. It looked like he was kind of phoning it in. 
And that was mm-hmm. a couple years before this. But here, he's on top of his game. Like, he's doing really good stuff. He hasn't lost his touch. So I just think I'm, I'm going to come to the conclusion that he just didn't care about working on Fantastic Four back then. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's really just kind of a joy to read. I mean, his Hulk is just fun, and, and the, the the constant prank of getting into purple pants, um, Just it, it's just fun to see that visual on Mr. Fix-It, who is trying to be very, very proper and buttoned up and... and quiet and to get him back in the purple pants must have been fun for a few seconds. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a good way to close out Claremont's run. And it's nice like these is a two parter, but it carries forward the the storyline that we had established before as well. So nine it, Wolverine number nine is titled Promises to Keep and it's basically a fill in issue by Peter David. Um the entire issue is a flashback, although I don't think it's I don't think we know that until the very end, but right. um, it's Wolverine essentially hunting down mercenaries who tortured and killed people in Iraq uh, some unspecified years ago. And then at the very end, we do see Wolverine as Patch uh, reminiscing and, and thinking about this story. So, Which I think they probably just tacked that page on to the end. If this yep. was an inventory story and it was sitting in someone's filing cabinet, they could have easily just um, added that last page or reworded the last page so that it was it was said by Patch in a bar somewhere. Yeah, and drawing on a little patch, and you're, you're good to go. <laughs> exactly. It's uh, it's really got nothing to do with what we've been reading so far. Um, no, but it is a darn good story. I really liked this one. It was so great. It is. It's it's uh, entirely self-contained except for the the little framing at the end. But really, just kind of similar to what I was saying earlier. You see, you don't really see Wolverine at all. He's in stealth mode the whole time and and hunting down these these mercenaries. It's played out like a horror story. And um, Peter David actually speaks a little bit about this in, t- in the interview. So I'll play that clip here. Wolverine is just such a. a incredibly entertaining character i mean there's there's so many ways you can play him you can play him comedically you can play him tragically you can play him uh as a straight-up horror thing i mean one one of the one-off issues of wolverine that i did i basically had it be a bunch of guys who i did a classic horror film trope with a bunch of guys in a uh, forest running from some lunatic who is striking them down one by one except the lunatic in this story is wolverine so you're pretty sure that they had it coming but now, you know you're kind of curious as to why in god's name wolverine is tracking these guys and cutting them down one by one um i also really like gene colon's art for this one it just is the perfect fit with his kind of dark uh he likes to play with a lot of shadows and such um and, and it works so well with the tone that he's going for yeah i was i was almost getting like deliverance vibes from this story just um i don't know if you've seen that movie but just the mm-hmm. the paddling down the the river and yeah. the woods just very picking off guys one by one and it, it's just very um classic sort of wolverine story and he's in his yellow costume so yep. that's an interesting thing too, because it's not even 
in his brown costume, which that was current at the time. It's his yellow, yellow one. Yeah, it lets you know it, it takes place some, Quite a while as he ago. says, you know, back before he had any friends or ex-friends. And uh, he says X as in X-Men. Yeah. Um, but the waitress takes it to mean like former friends. Former friends you yeah. Know? So, so kind of a neat little uh, touch there in the yellow costume. And it, it's, it's nice to see the classic costume uh, in this book at least once. Yep. Um, the next issue is called 24 Hours. And this one is the final Claremont issue. Um, Logan recalls it's another kind of a flashback uh, story. Uh, remembers a brutal fight with Sabretooth. And um, I'm not exactly sure where Sabretooth and Wolverine are in their relationship at this point in Sabretooth's history. Um, I know that he appeared in um, Iron Fist. That was his first appearance. And I talk about it in the Iron Fist episode, and then he kind of reappears off and on again through Power Man and Iron Fist. So he's not really a Wolverine character until a bit later. So I don't know if this is kind of the beginning of that or if they've already kind of established that they have this relationship. I think they, in X-Men, they do talk about the similarities between the two, but this issue um, was such a big deal when it came out uh, just because it's probably the most we've ever had about Wolverine's past up to this point. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So he, uh, Wolverine has found that, um, Silver Fox has been killed and the person who killed Silver Fox is Sabretooth. And so they have a big battle and the whole issue is kind of a big battle. And what this establishes is this annual tradition that Sabretooth has to attack Wolverine on his birthday. Yeah, it's kind of a kind of a, a fun little idea that Claremont came up with and um, really just ties the characters together even more. Mm-hmm. And I think you had a clip of Claremont talking about his ideas for Sabretooth, right? Yeah, I do, and I'll put that in here. In my in my presentation of the character Every year on his birthday, Sabretooth shows up and basically kills him. <laughs> Happy birthday, son. Because, well, but for, from Sabretooth's perception, this is a rite of passage. Mm, right. He's going, I mean, he's not, he is, he, he is totally aware of the reality, i.e. Logan has a healing factor that is as ruthlessly, efficient as Sabretooth's own. So when one says Sabretooth kills him, he gets better. And Sabretooth knows this. But from his perception, if you're my son, then the only way you get to be top dog in the pack is by getting rid of the top dog in the pack, which is me. Ah. And until you can do that, I'm not going to give you any respect. Isn't that interesting? Uh, Especially if you refuse to do that. From Logan's, and it's even, from Sabretooth's perception, it's even more of a, Logan is even more of a blot on the family escutcheon because, not simply because of his height and and his flawed attitude, i.e. a sense of morality, but also because he's a cyborg. 
thanks to the Weapon X foolishness. Right. He has adamantium bones. He has the adamantium claws or adamantium lace bones. So he, as far as Sabretooth's concerned, Logan has broken goods. The idea was that Sabretooth was going to be Logan's father, which obviously never ended up happening. But Well, I mean, that was the theory for many, many years. Yeah. So as far as we're all concerned at this point, yeah, Sabretooth is Wolverine's father. And there's no no claws in this issue. Wolverine um, <laughs> didn't have his claws at this point. And oh, yeah, of we'll course. And we'll that up to uh, memory lapse or his, me- his memories being messed with. And I think... If I'm remembering right, I think the whole thing with Silver Fox and and whatnot was a was a false memory that got implanted by the um, Weapon X program. Yeah, we'll chalk it up to that that he he's not using his claws in this issue. But okay, and one more clip, one more final clip from Claremont talking about why he left Wolverine. Yeah, you only stayed on for a few issues. Was that just um, you wanted to get it up and running and let someone else have it, or did you... Well, it was getting it up and running, and then X-Men was eating up more and more time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I... Things at Marvel in in the late 80s, and, and especially once we got into the 90s, were getting really tense. Yeah in terms of my relationship with the ex-canon, with, you know, I was trying to hold on to to Excalibur. Um, you know, New Mut- Weezy was doing the New Mutants. Um, we were trying to establish all sorts, you know, I was, we were trying to branch out and get movies launched. And, uh, you know, I was trying to run a, a whole bunch of, hold on to a whole bunch of things. And, and when the XM went to, uh, 16 issues a year, or 18 issues a year, it just got crazy. Right. Yeah, something's got to So, uh, something had to give, and, and unfortunately, Logan was it. And we can move on to the next one. Uh, yeah, this is part one of the Gehenna Stone Affair, and this is Peter David's first issue uh, on the Wolverine title. Oh, no, sorry, he wrote the... The, the he wrote fill-in. the fill-in as well. Um, this is his chance to kind of uh, unravel some more stories, and uh, this one's called Brother's Keeper. So it's kind of a contrived um, plot detail to get uh, Logan, Archie Corgan, his pilot friend, and uh, Jessica Drew to head to San Francisco, but they're helping out Archie's brother, Bert, um, def- to defend his inheritance in court. Uh, so Jessica, while they're there, gets hired to locate a diamond stolen by uh, quote-unquote vampires. And then these vampires attack uh, Patch and Archie and Archie's brother in court. The sale. The book is now also bi-weekly, um, starting with this issue. And um, Peter David tells us a little bit about the draw of writing a bi-weekly book. Uh, then I did a six-part story. I was hired to do um, a story that I was told was going to be coming out on a bi-weekly basis, uh, which I called the Gehenna Stone Affair. And um, that was really exciting for me because I had never had a chance to do something that was going to be coming out every two weeks. And that really was uh, was an exciting endeavor. I mean... Because because it was coming out every two weeks, I had a chance to 
do some things that it didn't ordinarily do. For example, issue two, I think it was, was a 22-page car chase. That's all that happened in the issue. It was right. a 22-page car chase. That's something that I never would have done in a book that was coming out on a monthly basis because I would have felt like, well, you know, they're waiting a whole month for this. I'm not going to spend 22 pages in the car chase. It doesn't really advance the story at all. It's just a 22-page car chase. But because I had the latitude of coming out every two weeks, I thought, well, what the hell? You know, uh, I'll spend I'll spend 22 pages in the car chase. And indeed, some fan came up to me at a convention with it, and he said, this is a 22-page car chase. And I went, yeah. <laughs> and he said, well, why did you write that? And I said, I wanted to see if I could write a 22-page car chase. And the guy went, oh, okay, well, you succeeded, I guess. And I said, thank you. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of this issue? I really liked it. It was a good. It was a good start to the story overall. I I actually quite enjoyed this whole six parts uh, story. Um, it gets a little weird, a little bit later, but um, the beginning here uh, is is really nice. I like fleshing out Archie's character a little bit, mm-hmm. um, learning more about him. I like that Jessica plays a more active role, and in fact, through this thing, she has a she's more present than than Lindsay is. Um, they they do bring in. The Madripoor crowd a little bit later on in the story, but yeah, she really gets to revisit her old life in San Francisco and um, pick up pick up a new case for her. Yeah, and so I feel like Peter David, he's on here. He's only hired for this six part story, and that's it. But he kind of immediately starts undoing everything that Claremont has been doing up to this point. Mm-hmm. He he takes Wolverine out of Madripoor. Halfway through this, he puts the costume on. He's using his claws quite a bit. Um, so it's like he's uh, he's not really following the rules that Claremont had established previous to this. As, as far as continuing Claremont's uh, efforts, at least at least Peter David includes the supporting cast and, and doesn't do away with them and, and makes them a large part of the story. Yeah. Um, I have to say the the backgrounds uh, in this arc are just kind of bland. Um, they're solid colors, and they they don't really, to me, add anything to the atmosphere of the book. It's just like a, a panel of a solid blue or a solid olive color, and it kind of it kind of flattens the book and, and makes it less interesting visually. Now that's interesting because Busema also used a lot of blank panel backgrounds in his mm-hmm. work as well, but um, he would his staging is just different. I mean, this is still Busema. Yeah. Um, so why is it that the black that that the backgrounds stand out here and they didn't in the other in the other story arc? I know we have a different colorist. We have uh, who is it? Mark Chiarello coloring this issue so maybe yeah. it's something to do with that and just i think you can tell that he's trying to continue with the same sort of stylistic color palette but mm-hmm. it's not the same it's definitely not the same it doesn't uh it doesn't work with the same effect as before yeah it just i guess it would come down to the the lighting in the book the the way the characters are lit uh is just totally yeah they're totally bright on the page 
and there's a lot more browns and just kind of earth tones to this mm-hmm. rather than the the purples and pinks that we saw in Wolverine in the first story arc. So Bert is a funny kind of character. He he reminds me a lot of um of Abed from the show Community if you've ever watched oh, yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Just totally getting lost in the movie character and of Indiana Jones in this case and it, it's really just such a fun scene when he bursts into the courtroom on the horse um kind of you need that peter david's really good at that comedic relief yeah and uh, you, you kind of needed it in this issue so um issue number 12 is called straits of san francisco logan and archie are chasing jess and bert while being chased by, by vampires this is basically a big car chase and that's about it Peter David explained it a little bit in the clip that we we uh, that we had here. Reading it in a big collection like this, the um, it seemed like this car chase was really long. But as he explained, yeah. if you're getting these biweekly, um, and the story the story is um, every other week progressing instead of monthly, then you can do stuff like that. But it definitely reads differently in a big fat collection like this. Yeah, and you know this issue, I wouldn't say it's filler, but it's it kind, kind of, of unnecessary as far as the length of it. So, yeah. and there is that little gag that Peter David mentioned as far as the the comic store being destroyed. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of Bill Leibowitz before? I haven't. No. No. So yeah, that was that was the only head scratcher reference in this book for me. So I was sure to ask him. So. Um, it was good to hear an answer from him on that one. Oh, that was a funny thing. I don't remember why, but for, uh, Golden Apple got smashed up in several different comic books of mine. Um, he got smashed up in an issue of Incredible Hulk. He got smashed up in uh, Wolverine. It just became a running gag that oh. I thought was amusing, that every time that Bill would start... I think they called it Golden Orange, though. Um but yeah, Bill Libowitz. Do, do you know Bill? Um, only by name. I mean, I I I looked. I had to look him up on online to, because I didn't know who he was. Yeah, Bill Libowitz. Bill, yeah, Bill Libowitz is a real guy. He passed away some years ago. Um, he ran a comic book store called Golden Apple Comics, uh, which I believe is still around in Los Angeles. And he also threw some of the best parties after the San Diego Comic Con that I've ever freaking been to. Oh yeah. And yeah, yeah, Bill. Bill was a Bill was a great friend, and um, and for some reason, I just thought it would be amusing to make him a running character in the comic book, and keep smashing up his stores in various comic books of mine, which I haven't done in a good number of years. I mean, I don't think I've done it ever since Joe passed away, because then it was no longer funny. Right. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't blame you for you know for not knowing what was going on with that. That was just. A purely personal thing in which I just kept smashing up his stories in different in different uh, in different comic books. It does kind of stand out as far as reading what I mean. It's obviously a real person's name, so yeah, <laughs> it's definitely not a comic book name. Um, so it, it does kind of stand out, and I'm glad <laughs> we finally got an answer to that to that reference. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, this issue, it, like we said in talking about the restoration in this book or, or lack of restoration, it, every panel you can see uh, 
the mistakes made as far as the resolution on this issue. Um, just a lot of gray streets that are ruined by that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy. Let's see. So Wolverine 13 is titled blood ties and the, the cliffhanger or the tagline on the last issue, um, says next it could be avoided no longer exposition and so, so that's exactly what we get in issue 13 here yeah. uh, we, we learn the history of the Gehenna stone um and logan and the gang head back to the airport to uh to go back to madripoor and they encounter uh bail for the first time and i don't i don't know if it's ever explained if they're vampires or not but he's definitely a demon and uh, in the meantime, there's two brothers who check into the Princess Bar in Madripoor. Um, they end up killing each other and leave a piece of the Gehenna Stone behind. Yeah, and this is kind of the very first hint that we get that the Gehenna Stone um, affects people who are in proximity with it. Because mm-hmm. it's also affecting Bert because he has one that he's stolen from a museum. And so there are many of these pieces, as explained in the backstory, that are scattered all over the place. And the big bad guy, Bal, or Bale, he, uh, has, he has assembled all of the pieces back into the giant rock, except for two pieces. The one that these brothers have, which um, O'Donnell takes, and the one that Bert has. It's definitely kind of a classic lord of the rings style setup here where i mean bert essentially turns into Gollum at one point or every character <laughs> right. that comes in contact does uh and they you know they don't say the word precious but you you can't help but think of that no you can't yeah that's true the mythology behind bill or, or ball uh is it's completely out of place in terms of what claremont had set up you know comparing it to the Muramasa sword, which essentially does the same thing in terms of possessing people. I, I don't think Claremont ever went into that much depth about where it came from, but Peter David definitely does in, in these mythological flashbacks, so to speak. So there, it's definitely not something we've seen up to this point in, in the Wolverine series. Right. Yeah, and it just goes to show you how different different writers attack the same the same character and you can place Wolverine in pretty much any situation and it'll work. You can set him, send him with demons and biblical history, or you can put him in outer space with aliens and it's, it's, he's still Wolverine. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I just have to say that the whole trip to San Francisco to get the ball rolling and then going back to Madripoor, it just felt a little contrived, but yeah. It yep. would have been nice yep. just to see it all, all happen in Magic 4, but... Yep. Uh, and there wasn't any real reason why it couldn't. Bert could have easily uh-huh. lived in Madripoor as well. Yeah. Um, although, I guess Madripoor probably doesn't have sanity hearings. That's probably more <laughs> of an American thing. Yeah, uh, I mean, he could have been searching for the second piece and, and heard it was in Madripoor or something, but... Um, yeah, it just it just felt a little flimsy as to why they had to go to San Francisco and fly back within the span of, of a couple issues. But mm-hmm. um, Gehenna is a real place. Did you know that? I did not. Yep. It's actually, actually, he mentions it being a, like a suburb of Jerusalem and it actually still exists today. Okay. Yep. 
Well, that yeah, that makes sense with the sort of biblical mythology behind the story here. Mm-hmm. Okay, we can move on to issue number 14. It's called Flying Wolves. Logan and Jessica fly to, back to Madripoor, but they are attacked midair by vampires, air vampires. <laughs> they aren't actually flying. They're in a plane that comes across <laughs> beside them. And um, again, this is an, another issue that is drawn out for the sake of the biweekly publication that uh, probably only needed to be maybe half the length. But uh, yeah, we get uh, we get kind of two stories. There's what's the action that's happening on the plane, and then there's the action that's happening back in Madripoor because the the deaths at the Princess Bar are being investigated by the local police, and that's where Lindsay is, and that's where O'Donnell is, and uh, and they start to have like a romantic relationship, mainly because Lindsay's trying to seduce him into giving him the stone. Yeah. Because the stone's affecting her as well. Um, and in the the main story on the airplane, Wolverine puts on his costume for the first time in this solo book. Yeah, it's it's a a big moment in terms of in terms of his appearance. Um and it, it leads to quite a lot quite a lot of jokes about Oh well, it's about time. Uh, we knew you were patched the whole time, and oh, I have I have absolutely no recollection. Oh, okay, no problem. Um, if I if I, I I very much doubt that it was a request from editorial, because you know I, I generally remember requests from editorial. So I would tend to think that I just decided to put him back in the costume because you know what? What the hell? Why not? He's out on a superhero adventure. Let's put him in the classic costume and be done with it. Right. But uh, I, I, I don't remember, you know, my thinking probably wasn't much more detailed beyond that. Um, I mean, the, 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 I, what, the, the main thing that I also remember is when he finds out that pretty much everybody knew that Patch was Wolverine. Yeah, that was which, a great moment. <laughs> There's some of the well, humor I mean, right there. Well, I thought it was ridiculous. I mean, it was, I mean, you think Clark, I mean, at least, Christopher Reeve convinced us that a pair of glasses can convince people that these are two different guys. Right. But this is Wolverine, and he's got an eye patch, and that's it. <laughs> and I, I just like the notion that everyone was afraid to say, "Yo, Wolverine, what's with the eye patch?" Yeah. I mean, yep. because you know it's pretty well known that Wolverine is a homicidal lunatic. Um, so nobody wanted to be the one to go. Dude, who do you think you're fooling? Because they were afraid that Wolverine would turn around and kill them. Yep, everyone's so everyone, just you know, going to play it, along. Yeah, and so everyone's going like, okay, his name is Patch, and we have to pretend that we don't know that he's Wolverine. <laughs> I'm down with that. Okay, Patch, how are you doing, Patch? I mean, that just made eminent sense to me. You know, and the thing that broke me up was that Wolverine was freaking surprised. You yeah. knew I was back. You knew I was Wolverine. Of course, we knew you were Logan. You idiot! You've done nothing to change your appearance other than having an eye patch, and your behavior is exactly the same. So, of course, we all knew. I mean, he didn't even change his hair, for God's sake. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but yeah, the, I so I remember coming up with that, and I got the editors to sign off on that because I think the editors may have also thought that the whole patch thing was silly. But, you know, we're not going to argue with Chris when he set that up in the first place. So, right. okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, I, I remember that as being one of my, that was one of my favorite contributions, having everyone go like, yeah, fine, you're Patch. Okay, we all know you're Wolverine, but we're afraid to say anything. 
Yeah, that was the best part because I, the whole time I'm thinking, how on earth would anybody be uh, fooled by this? But I mean, if he wears his mask, his iconic hair isn't that iconic. If you don't know that Wolverine, that 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 the hair is like that underneath. Mm-hmm. So if Lindsay McCabe only met Wolverine when his costume was on, she'd never know that that was actually Patch. But as soon as you pop your claws, how many people people are going to figure out that there aren't that many people that have claws that come out of their hands? <laughs> it's uh, it's a really action-packed issue. Um, the, the physics of the plane fight are kind of probably not the most realistic. He seems to be <laughs> on, on top of the plane fighting a lot. You know, if he, if he can pull that off, good for him. But uh, it's, it, you know, it's a fun issue. Um, does, do they ever explain whether they're actually vampires or not? Well, Wolverine keeps calling them fake vampires. Yeah. Like they are wearing teeth or something like that to scare people. So okay. I'm assuming that they're not. Um, but Bale does have the power to kind of transform these guys. Like at, right. at the end of this issue, he, he does kind of create this hairy demon-looking guy. So Yeah, we don't really know much about any of these characters. Yeah, it, it was... I mean, it's a fun issue. Uh, it, it was nice that they didn't forget the characters back in Madripoor and, and that plot is progressing is progressing as well. So they eventually will meet up um, in the next issue, I believe. Yeah. And this is another issue that really suffers from poor restoration or the poor printing. I mean, the poor printing quality. Yeah. There's just the one now we're into unnumbered pages, so I can't give you a page number, <laughs> but uh, um, there's the fight. Wolverine is in costume and he's fighting a bunch of the fake vampires. Um, and it's, kind of a dialogue free scene it's kind of right in the middle of the book the middle is it the, the one here. with the the red panel in the middle no it's got a okay. it's the next page okay yeah that it's just very you can really tell especially in that bottom corner um just the the quality is just not there yeah it looks like i mean the character is almost um, the character on the left there is just blending into the background and yeah features disappear and, and lines disappear and it's just the color is a little off register which is bizarre for digital printing that's not that shouldn't happen so i don't know what the deal is mm-hmm. but there's something up here yeah it's definitely not the prettiest issue in this book um which is unfortunate because it's it's Bisema and, and sinkovich so it it deserves better yeah yeah issue 15 is called homecoming and it is kind of an odd issue in that it fills in a lot of what happened in the last issue um, in between the panels. Uh, but Jessica hi- helps uh, Archie's brother Bert fight off some vampires and ends up at the princess or prince's palace or castle and sees Bale already at his side, um, the side of his throne there. And this is the first of many sequences where Wolverine has comes to reality with the fact that his secret identity was never really a secret. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. It seems yeah. like uh it seems like Jessica told told everybody these people. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you'd you'd think she'd be a little more careful with secret identities given given her history, but um but it, it's an open secret at this point. So Yeah. Uh, what did you think of this issue? Um, I thought it was fine. It's um, this whole this whole story reads much better, I guess, all all together rather than standalone issues. Just because, especially when we are reading, um, because 
Peter David is really drawing on all the sequences. Like this one also, this there are a lot of sequences in here that c- could be cut down quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to just be more succinct. You probably could have told the story in three issues. Yeah, um, you know, I don't know why. I don't know the logistics of a bi-weekly book, but it's definitely a good story to be published like that. I, I wouldn't get as frustrated if I was reading this bi-weekly as if it were monthly, so... Um, what amazes me here is that um, Busema can pencil the uh, the biweekly book. Now, of course, he comes from the old school Marvel uh, era, where you know these some of these artists were doing two or three or four books a month. So having a biweekly book is probably no big deal to him. But it's still pretty amazing that he um, was doing the monthly up until this point, and then switched to biweekly and could still do it. And I guess maybe that's where some of the background or staging suffers because he's probably rushing through a lot of this, but he still did it. Yeah. I mean, he had, he had overlapping duties with, um, Marvel comics presents and, and the start of the ongoing and now he's, yeah. And Marvel comics presents was, was that it was bi-weekly at its start. Uh, Yeah. So yeah, that's, uh, that's even though they're only eight page, stories in, in that series um it's still still pretty impressive that he, he can turn it out mm-hmm. uh, okay final issue you ready for this yep it's called electric warriors logan and bale face off in the prince's castle that's right we find out that the prince is in league with this demon um because the demon is going to uh going to help him gain control of uh I don't know if it's the world or what what he's after, but um, I think he promises immortality. Ah, immortality. That makes sense. Um, so this was an okay conclusion. I was a little. It was. Um, I found that it was a little anticlimactic because they don't like. We don't really find out what the ball does once it's fully formed. Yeah, it it, it was kind of hard to follow because it's formed and he doesn't really seem any different than he was before. In fact, he seems weaker and more vulnerable. And uh, they, they do kind of explain it a little bit in that it was once the stone was shattered, his spirit had nowhere to go, but you know, why reform it at all then? <laughs> right. I don't know. Yeah. It, um, it, it just, the, the ending had a little bit of a rough dismount, but it was kind of a cool clash to see Wolverine in full form fighting this, this huge monster. And, uh, um, that was kind. Of, that was good. It, the artwork I thought really stepped up in this issue compared to the other ones um, as a grand finale. Yeah. Um, the only the only problem I had is with the cover uh, by Kevin Nolan, who I usually like, but the cover just it, it looks unfinished to be honest, and I I don't. It doesn't look like a cover to. Yeah. A Marvel yeah. comic. I actually wasn't really on board with any of the covers that he did for this story arc. Yeah. Um, they, they don't really grab you the way a cover showed in my opinion. No, I like this issue as well. And except for the things we talked about, but I just, I don't know the, the tying in of Wolverine as some sort of mythological figure or (laughs) the reincarnation of this figure. It it felt like it really came out of nowhere and it, it just didn't work for me. Right. Yeah. It's a neat idea, but um, there's no no hint of it really leading up to this. So yeah, and so have you read any of the Archie Goodwin John Byrne stuff? Not a long time. Um, from what I remember, they 
stick around Madripoor, um, but it, it's been a while. Yeah, I, I haven't read any of it, so I'm looking forward to, to that. I like both Archie Goodwin and John Byrne. Um, I'd like to see John Byrne with Klaus Jackson, uh, Jansen doing inks, so that should be really, really cool. I hope that Volume 2 is released sooner than later. Yeah, I don't, I don't think um, there's one announced yet, another Wolverine volume. So the three that are out are all we have uh, for now. Yeah, um, hopefully we'll see one sometime in uh, 2018. Yeah, and I know we see more of more of Rough House um, in, in that story arc by uh, Archie Goodwin. But other than that, I, I'm light on the details. So we get some cool bonus features at the back of this book, a couple of Marvel Age articles that shed some light on the Marvel Comics Presents and Marvel and Wolverine ongoing series. So you should uh, mm-hmm. read those. They're kind of cool, along with some house ads and some more pinups, um, a bunch of different covers for different things, and uh, and some original art. Yeah, I, I always like that they include the original art, even though it's four to a page in this case. Um, you can still see just the beauty of his line work. Yeah. And it, it's really, really fun to see in this book. Yeah, and they put a lot of art in here. There's yeah. quite a few pages of it. So that's nice. Yeah, well, final thoughts? Anything you want to bring up? Um, yeah, I, I just think, I think this is a great volume as far as, I, this is probably the best Wolverine's solo series gets. Um, not to say that it's entirely downhill from here, but... It's it's definitely the choice material, and so I'm I'm glad they started with this one, uh, as far as the epic collections go. Right. Uh, it's just a fun volume, and you know both both writers really play with the patch personality, even though Peter David kind of forgets it. But yeah, I I would really recommend it. <laughs> yeah, I'd recommend it too. It's a great um, it's a great starting point, of course, because it's a volume one. Um, but it's just a it's just a good slice of Wolverine without being so superheroish. I guess you get to really find out what Wolverine is is made of and how his mind works. Yeah, it's nice to see him out of the uh, the team book of the X Men. Yeah, and we always kind of hear he always talks about how he's a loner and all this kind of stuff. So this is your chance. This is kind of his first outing aside from the other limited series to find out what it actually means when he's a loner. Yeah. Even though he does get a supporting cast pretty quickly. Um, right. Even but, though it's reluctant for him, but and I think a supporting cast is different than a team mm-hmm. like they, a full functioning team like the X-Men um, still has their supporting cast members. And it's basically just someone for Wolverine to talk to. In this case, um, they they help them out in a, in a few ways, but not in a way that I would consider them teammates. No, you're right. Yeah, they uh, and it's just a good mix of characters as well that that play off Logan in a good way. Nice. Well, there we go. Wolverine Madripoor Knights in great detail. <laughs> um, <laughs> what uh, what are we going to talk about next time? Uh, as far as Wolverine goes, I think moving on to Epic Collection Volume 8, The Dying Game, would be a good choice. Nice. Yeah, that's uh, that takes us quite a bit into Wolverine's future, so it'll be really neat to see a completely different take on the character uh, by a different team of creators. Um, yeah, that's a weird, ish, a weird volume. But uh, yeah. we're also going to talk, this is a special note, um, well, we're also going to talk about 
the four-part Weapon X Age of Apocalypse miniseries that falls right in the middle of this book, but is not collected in the Epic Collection. Yeah, so if you're buying these Epic Collections, um, go out and pick up the Age of Apocalypse trades because uh, Marvel is not going to collect them in these at all. So, yep. um, and it, that's probably for the best. I mean, they they stand on their own and. And you would never know they're missing out of this the next Wolverine volume. So. Exactly. So yeah, and that's it's fine that they're not in there. But yeah, I went out and bought the Age of Apocalypse trades once I found out that they weren't including them in here as well because they're just good stories to have. So we'll talk about those as well. Sounds good. Well, thanks for joining us, Drew, on this trek through Wolverine, and uh, we will see you next time you're on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. 